Chapter number 19 of The Last Egyptian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Peter Tomlinson. Chapter 19 The Abduction. Mrs. Everingham passed the afternoon in Aneth's company. The girl was visibly nervous and excited but made pitiful attempts to conceal her weakness. In no way did she allude to Kara or to the fact that the hour had arrived when she was to consummate the sacrifice of her own happiness to maintain her grandfather's integrity and the honour of her family's name. Her friend ventured one or two remarks about the folly of her promise and the absurdity of keeping it, but these so distressed Aneth and had so little visible influence upon her decision that Mrs. Everingham abandoned the topic and turned the conversation into more cheerful channels. When she mentioned Gerald Winston, she noticed that Anna's cheeks flamed scarlet and then turned deathly white. So here was another subject to be avoided, if she did not wish to make the girl's position unbearable. Indeed, those last days of association with Gerald had taught Aneth the full extent of her martyrdom, and now she began to realise that she was losing all that might have rendered her life's happiness complete, had it not been for the advent of Kara and his terrible threat to destroy the family honour and send her loving grandfather to prison. Early in the evening Mrs. Everingham kissed her friend and returned to her own room across the corridor, there to complete her simple preparations for the proposed voyage. Meantime, Winston had been busy with Lord Rowan. The young man was fortunately a prime favourite with Anna's grandsire, and he listened attentively to Gerald's explanation of a plot to rescue his darling grandchild from the sloth of despondency into which she had fallen. Mrs. Everingham is confident a Nile voyage would do much to cheer her up and keep her from dwelling upon her troubles, he suggested. What do you think of the idea, sir? Capital, said Rowan. If Aneth can be induced to consent. I asked her to run over to Helwan the other day for a few weeks' change of scene, but she declared she would not listen to such a proposal. That is our difficulty, acknowledged Winston, speaking in a confidential tone. She has told Mrs. Everingham she would not leave Cairo, but we think her decision is based upon the fear that you would be unable to accompany her, so we have decided to engage in a little conspiracy. For the morbid condition into which she has fallen has made us all anxious. Is there any reason, my lord, why you should not leave Cairo for a month or so? None whatever if my going will benefit Aneth in any way. Very good. Now here is our plan. I fitted my private dahabija for a cruise. Mrs. Everingham will go along to chaperone your granddaughter, and you will join us to complete her happiness and keep her contented. Only one thing stands in our way, the young lady's refusal to embark. That barrier will be surmounted by Mrs. Everingham, who is a woman of experience and who loves Aneth as well as if she were her own daughter. So this evening you and I will get aboard quietly without declaring our intentions to anyone 
and rely upon Mrs. Everingham's promise to join us with Aneth at nine o'clock. Do not ask me, sir, how she will succeed in overcoming your granddaughter's scruples against leaving Cairo. We will trust the woman's wit. When the party is embarked, we will go up the Nile to find roses for your grandchild's pale cheeks and have a jolly good time as well. Rowan accepted the programme with enthusiasm. He himself was in a dreadfully nervous state, expecting hourly to be accused of a crime, the proof of which would separate him forever from Aneth. To get away from Cairo just now, without Cairo's knowing where he had gone, would be to gain a few weeks' respite. Eagerly he availed himself of the opportunity. Winston knew there was no danger of the old man's betraying their plans, but he could not divine what Kara's next move might be, and resolved to take no chances. So he clung fast to Rowan until he had put him and his light luggage aboard the Dahabija, whereupon he sent a message to appraise Mrs. Everingham of his success. So far all had gone well, but Mrs. Everingham's anxiety grew as the hour of nine approached. Lord Rowan had sent word to Aneth that he would be out for dinner and might not return to the hotel until late that night. So the girl, glad of this fortunate chance, had her dinner served in her own room, and the Arab servant, being intercepted by Mrs. Everingham, declared that she ate little and wept continually, as if overcome by some hopeless sorrow. All depended now upon the faithfulness of Tadros, the dragoman, and Mrs. Everingham, finding nothing more for her woman's ingenuity to devise, entered the carriage at half-past eight o'clock and was driven quietly to the embankment. Within sight of the three red lights Winston had displayed, she halted her vehicle to await the arrival of the dragoman. Tadros, meantime, being fully instructed by Kara as to the conduct of his mission, drove in the Egyptian's private carriage to the hotel. The coachman had been instructed to obey the dragoman's orders implicitly, so he suspected nothing when Tadros, having alighted at the Savoy, commanded him to drive to the citadel and remain in the shadow of the mosque until midnight. The dragoman then hired another carriage that was driven by a sleepy, and stupid-looking Arab, after which he immediately entered the hotel and went directly to Aneth's room. She opened the door in person, having dismissed all her attendants. "'It is nine o'clock, miss,' announced Tadros, as he entered. The girl clasped her hands with a gesture and look of terror. "'Where is, is Prince Kara?' she asked vaguely. "'At his villa, awaiting with the bridal party your arrival.' You must understand that the wedding is to be very quietly conducted, yet strictly in accordance with the requirements of the Christian faith. My master desires me to say that every consideration and courtesy shall be shown you, his highest ambition in the future being to promote your happiness. She shuddered. Is that all he said? Except that his promises to you shall be faithfully kept, and Lord Rowan's comfort and safety carefully provided for. Let us go, she said hastily. I am ready. Any luggage, miss? he asked. She pointed to a small travelling case that stood beside her, and Tadros stooped and picked it up. With a frightened glance around her, 
she placed a note directed to Lord Rowan upon the table and then hurriedly left the room, leaving the door unlocked. The dragoman escorted her to the side entrance, reserved for ladies, and they were fortunate in finding it almost deserted at that moment. Aneth entered the carriage quickly, as if fearful of being interrupted in her escape, and Tadros closed the door and took his seat beside the driver. To the opera house, he said, for the benefit of the few loungers who stood upon the pavement. After driving a couple of blocks, he made the Arab driver stop in front of a tobacco shop and sent him in to purchase some cigarettes. The moment the fellow disappeared, Tadros started the horses and applied the whip, and the carriage had whirled swiftly around the corner before the wandering Arab returned to the street to find his equipage and his passengers missing. Aneth, as soon as she had leaned back against the cushions, had fallen into a sort of stupor. Her weary brain refused to think or to speculate upon the doubtful fate to which she was rushing. She felt the carriage bumping over the crossings and saw vaguely the lights flash by, but she noted neither the direction in which they were proceeding nor the length of their journey. Across the Nile Bridge the horses abated their speed, but then through the darker lanes of the west embankment they dashed along at a wild pace that might have frightened the girl had she been capable of realising the actual conditions. Suddenly, with a jolt that almost threw her into the opposite seat, the carriage halted. She looked out of the window and saw three dim red lights burning, and beyond these the glint of a stray moonbeam upon the river. When Tadros came to assist her in alighting, she saw Mrs. Everingham standing behind him. "'Where am I?' asked the girl wildly. "'Hush, dear,' said her friend, taking her in her arms to kiss her tenderly. "'Am I not welcome at your wedding?' "'But why are we here?' asked Aneth pleadingly. "'Why are we at the river, and where is Prince Kara?' "'Come and let me surprise you,' answered Mrs. Everingham soothingly, "'leading the young girl, who was still half-dazed and thoroughly mystified, "'aboard the Dar Habijah.' and into the brightly lighted little cabin. There sat Lord Rowan and Gerald Winston. Aneth stared, and then looking wildly around, she gave a plaintive cry and threw herself into her grandfather's arms. I don't understand, she wailed, sobbing hysterically. What does it all mean? Why are you here, and where is Prince Kara? Rowan was puzzled by her speech as well as distressed by her agitation. "'Prince Kara,' he repeated. "'Confound it, Aneth. "'You don't want that rascally nigger, do you?' "'No, no,' she replied. "'But he wants me, and I have promised. "'I must go to him. "'Why am I here? "'What have you done?' "'By this time the dragoman had tied his horses to a palm "'and come aboard, just as Hassan drew in the gangplank "'and Abdallah started the wheezy engine.' Tadros stood in the cabin doorway and listened intently to Aneth's protests. "'See here, miss,' he exclaimed with assumed sternness, "'you are in my charge, for I am Prince Kara's dragoman, and you have promised to obey me. Is it not so?' She turned to look at him. "'Are you obeying Prince Kara's orders?' she demanded. "'To be sure. He wished to surprise you. He says he merely intended—' to test your honesty, being interested in knowing whether an English girl would keep her promises. 
but he does not desire to make you unhappy. He is a prince and generous, therefore he releases you from your compact, and you are free from this time forth to do exactly as you please. She was white and trembling now. But my grandfather, she began eagerly. Tadros cut her short. He also is safe, in proof of which you see him at your side. You need have no fears in the future that... He stopped abruptly, for the overwrought nerves of the girl could not withstand this sudden revulsion of fate. Gerald caught her swaying form and carried her to her berth, where Mrs. Everingham tended her lovingly and applied restoratives to relieve her faintness. As for Lord Rowan, he swore loudly and glared upon the dragoman. "'What cursed nonsense is this?' he cried. Tadros smiled, and Gerald came up and seized the dragoman by both hands, pressing them warmly. "'Thank you, my man,' said he. "'You are a loyal ally, and I shall not forget how you have lied to save us from an embarrassing position.' Then he turned to Lord Rowan. "'If there is anything your lordship does not understand,' he said, "'I will gladly endeavour to explain it. "'Prince Kara has been playing a deep game with you and Aneth as pawns, "'but I think we have him checkmated at last.' "'The old nobleman did not reply at once. "'Any questioning on his part would necessarily be a very delicate matter.' "'He turned his eyes thoughtfully towards the shore.' where the lights of Cairo were slowly disappearing from their view. End of chapter 19 Recording by Peter Tomlinson, London